Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. You know, first service I had asked because I never asked, like, hey, Matt, what's the Fountain Church come from? Shared about the previous church uh, that was called Fountain, and then he also talked about, though, how he felt really led when he became the pastor here that reminded him of Isaiah 43, that, um, you know, just a paraphrase of it, Isaiah 43 says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And then there's a statement that says, the Lord says that I will bring uh, rivers in the desert. I'll bring rivers in the desert. I'm doing a new thing. And I, I love that new thing because a lot of times we want God to reset something or to start something over or wish that we just never went through something But really, when you read the Bible, if you were to just do a word study and type in the word new, you will see the word new come hundreds upon hundreds of things. Because God doesn't really like to just reset something or go back. God likes to do something new with something. He likes to take us through something so that something new can come out of it. And so today, what we're going to talk about a little bit today is if you're taking notes, anyone at all, um, I'm going to be sharing a message titled New Wine, okay? So if the team can go ahead and start bringing out, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to have, <laughs> I'll save that. You guys could decide what you want to do after church, but um, we're going to do a message called New Wine. And just know before we jump in, church I pastor is predominantly African-American and Hispanic church, Okay. So we would be what is known as a holler back church, okay? So if at any point uh, you want to holler back at your boy, and uh, it's not to give me praise, it's just to say, it's just to say, oh, that word. I, I, if, so if you want to amen, if you want to say praise God, um, it's, just, it just, you out, it's just you outwardly saying, oh, that resonated with me. Or, so you can give me a Pentecostal shout, or you can give me a Presbyterian nod. I'm cool with that too. So... You just want to be frozen and just give me one of these? I'm going to know what you mean, okay? And, and we're good, okay? So just however you want to do it, okay? That, that's how it's cool. Um, but I'm just glad to be with you guys. Would you do me a favor? Would you go to your Bible, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14? If you don't have your Bible with you today, uh, shame on you. No, I'm just playing. Uh, it's going to be up on the screens. Uh, we all have them on our phones nowadays, but um, or my case, my iPad. But Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 14 is where we're going to read at today. And then we're going to pray and dig right in, if that's okay with you. Let's start reading in verse uh, 14. It says this. Then the disciples of John, this is talking about the famous John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. The, the, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. Let's pray this morning and dig right in. God, we come before you today, Lord. 
We thank you so much that we could gather today as a church, as a body of believers who've come to worship you, glorify you, and magnify you, Father God. Those that are joining us online right now, Father, as wherever they're at, whether they're in their living room or at work or catching up on this, God, I just pray that as we all are here together, uh, sitting under your word, God, I pray today that you speak to us by the power of your spirit, God. None of us came here today to hear an opinion of man, a philosophy of man, or a doctrine of man. We came here to discover more of who you are, God, how our purpose relates to you, and to come to more knowledge of who Jesus is in our life. So may you do that today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, brother. Now that I don't have a keyboard behind me, we'll see how good I really am. It's like you sound better when that's playing. So it might get worse or it might get better. We'll find out. So now that there's no music behind me. Um, so I'm so excited to be with you guys. You know, who's ever gotten a new car before? You've ever had gotten a new car before? Or at least it was new to you. You know, you just someone sprayed something in it and it's like... <laughs> But whenever you get a new car, uh, there's always that new car smell. It's just clean and everything like that. And so, you, so we all tell ourselves, okay, it's a new car, which means I'm going to keep it new. So we say, no one's going to drink soda in the car. No one's going to eat food in the car. No one's going to eat candy in the car. No one's going to breathe in the car. You know, it's like we just say, this thing is going to be kept fresh and it's going to be kept new. And then for you, it may be six months, nine months, a year. But at some point, you're running late to somewhere and you think to yourself and you got the kids in the back screaming, well, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. You, just, you could tell I'm experienced in that level of uh, I got both my kids in children's church causing havoc upstairs right now. So, you know, that's true. Um, so they're screaming. So there's that one day you got the new car and you think to yourself, hi, I'm going to pull off to McDonald's or you go to God's church, Chick-fil-A, and you stop there and you say, hey, we're going to get some nuggets. We're going to get some French fries. But after that, it's all downhill. And the next day you're back at the fast food, but it's just like, it's already happened once. The car's no longer new now. You guys defiled it in every way possible. So it is what it is, right? And it's not a new car anymore. But then one day you come to yourself, you're like, man, I'm going to treat my car nice again. And you take it to a detail for once after three years that you've owned it. And then, the, and then the guy asks you, what smell do you want? And you look at him, you're like, give me the new car smell. I've missed that smell so much. It smells like toddler right now, you know, at least mine does. Um, so you say that, let me get that new car. And there's something special about having the new. And then when you get a freshen up on it. So, so today, what we're going to look at a little bit today, you may be here and that happens to us kind of when we start, when we first meet Jesus. It feels very fresh. It feels very new. You're excited when you give your life to Christ. And you tell yourself, God, I'm committed. I'm going to church. I'm going to go to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop. You know, you just start setting all these things, right? And then after a certain period of time, it's just like you miss church a couple of times. You go a couple more. And you start losing the new car, smell. you just like, okay, now I'm not praying as much anymore. I don't read my Bible as much anymore. Me and my wife were good for a season, but we're not again anymore. And you start losing that. Well, well hopefully today with the time we have together, we can maybe go to a, a spiritual detailer together, okay? So, so hopefully by the end of this, we can get that new car smell back in your faith and get to a place of newness and freshness again uh, by the power of the Spirit today and hopefully by the words of Jesus. So I want us to look at this passage we just saw. You know, John the Baptist, 
was uh, the cousin of Jesus. He preceded Jesus just by a little bit. So his ministry started before Jesus' ministry started. So in turn, John the Baptist would have followed all of the Pharisees and Sadducees' teachings. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day in Judaism. So they were the pastors. They were the teachers. They were the theologians. They were the religious leaders. They led, it all, they led church at all of the synagogues and all of the temples. And so uh, basically they were the ones that interpreted the Old Testament. But what had happened was uh, Judaism had become so abused by its leaders and the teachings had become so misused that they were following rules and precepts that God didn't even give them. And, and so, you know, if you read the book of Leviticus, which are supposed to be the laws of the Jewish people, um, what happened was there's only a few hundred laws in there. But as the Jewish leaders began to create something called the Midrash, which is the interpretation of the Old Testament by their own words, they started to create thousands of rules, thousands of laws that were like impossible to live. And a lot of them made no sense. Almost like when I was younger, my mom made up the law that if I turned on the light in the car that we'd go to prison, she'd be pulled over and go to jail. I mean, just making up laws, just making stuff up. I'm an adult now, mom. You don't go to jail for that. <laughs> I could do it as much as I want. But now I say it to my son, same thing. We going to jail if you turn your iPad on while we're driving, you know? <laughs> So they started creating rules, one of the rules of which was that you had to fast once a week for 24 hours. Just made up rule, no food for 24 hours. Some people back then could barely find food at any given point. So to even go 24 more hours, they were hurting. It was hurting the community, it was hurting the people. People didn't have enough nourishment to make it once a week to fast for 24 hours. So they were abusing their people. And so what Jesus comes in, Jesus comes in and he's like, I'm looking to do something new. I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm not going to replace the law. I'm not going to restart the law. I'm going to fulfill the law. And so within me is the embodiment of the law. And so what happens is I'm going to do something new. You follow me, something new is coming alongside of it. And so he talks about why would you need for them to spend that much time fasting once a week when you can spend time with me? I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm the one who can fill you up. I'm the one who can supply your needs. So he starts teaching them about this newness. And then he gives us two illustrations. The first illustration that he says that we just read is he says this, is he says, uh, if you ever take a piece of fabric, and in their day, uh, when something tore and ripped, unlike you and I, we keep it as a fashion sense and a style if something tears and rips. For them, they needed a lot more function than that. So you would have to uh, put a patch on your ripped clothes in Jesus' day. Uh, fabric and clothing was very expensive, so it wasn't a commodity uh, that you were able to just pick up at any point, grab a new pair of jeans, grab a new t-shirt. So if something ripped and tore, you had to fix it. You had to put a patch over it. But what would happen is, is if you had this big tear in your shirt or in your tunic in their case, uh, you would get a long piece of fabric and you would cut a patch out the size of that so that you could sew it in. Uh, similar if you've ever had to do something like that in, on your jeans or on a jacket, put a patch on it. But, but what would happen is, is if you, took, if you took a piece of fabric that wasn't already washed and shrunk, it was just a new piece of fabric, brand new, and then you took the old cloth and then you cut a piece out and you put that new fabric onto that old cloth 
and then you washed that jacket as a whole, what would happen is that fabric that was fit perfectly in that square would shrink for the first time and actually rip the fabric, tear it, even worse, almost where it was irreconcilable because of the tear would rip into the whole jacket because of the fabric that was attached to it now. So what Jesus would say is, tells them, if you want to fit the fabric in the cloth that has the hole, you have to shrink the piece. You have to shrink the piece first so that it can fit into place. So what Jesus was telling them is, if you want me, you're going to have to shrink. You're going to have to decrease. You're going to have to go through a washing process. You're going to have to go through a cleansing process. If you want a piece of me, then what happens is you have to decrease so that I can increase in your life. You have to shrink so that you can fit in to what it is that I'm going to try to do in your life. So he starts teaching them like like because they were haughty. They were arrogant. These leaders, these Pharisees and also these disciples. I mean, they felt like they knew everything. So he's like, you got to shrink a little bit. If you want to fit into this, then I mean, he goes into something now incredibly powerful. Now he begins to talk about wine. I know you guys are by Napa Valley, and you all know a lot about wine, so I'm not going to do too much of an education today. Some of you guys, some of your friends aren't here at church today because they're at Napa Valley, and so you just let them know next week they missed out on a good Sunday church, okay? But, you know, when you go through a process of making wine, you have water, you add yeast, you add sugar, and it goes through a fermentation process. It's really important in Jesus' day because um, water can easily become uh, full of bacteria if you don't know how to store water properly. Uh, water is not something that, can, that is very healthy for you unless you know how to store it properly. It can actually make you very sick. That's why if you go to some other countries and tell you don't drink the water from there because it's full of bacteria, it's going to make you really, really sick. And so in their day, in Jesus' day, people drank wine more than they drank water because the nearest water wells were sometimes two, three, four miles away. So you'd only have enough to store for a few days at a time before you had to go make that walk again. So if you had company over on a regular for your family at night, you would drink more wine than you would drink any water. So what would happen is, is they would go through a winemaking process so, the, so they can create a lot of it and store it at their house. And their storing process was not in big cisterns or big clay pots, which the wealthy could do that. The average person in Jesus' day had to keep their wine in wineskins, in leather of an animal, whether it be cow or sheep. So I have a picture of it to give you an idea. So what would happen is, is here you have a nomad on the left, and then you have his wineskin that he would carry. And so this is an animal. This is their leather body. And inside of it is a bunch of wine. And so they would carry these things. They would have these things, sometimes smaller, sometimes bigger, as big as the animal can be. And there they would make their wine in that. So they would stomp out all the grapes, put all the juice inside of there. Then they would add all the stuff you need to ferment it. So you'd add the water, you add the yeast, you add the sugar. And then it goes through the fermentation process. So now fermentation, the process of it begins very gaseous, like there's a lot of gases. You ever open up a champagne bottle to celebrate? What does it do? It explodes, pops. Reason why champagne does it is because still to this day, we fermentate champagne in its bottle. 
Wine, we fermentate it in big vats, and then they pour it in the bottle, and then they cork it. But champagne, still to this day, each individual bottle, they have put all the necessary fermentation things inside of it, and then they capped it, and then they let it go through its process of alkalizing in that moment. So that's why champagne is the only thing that does explode, or sparkling wine will do that, because it's fermentating in the process. Why does this matter? Well, because they had to use a fresh wineskin. You couldn't use, you couldn't reuse wineskins when refilling your wine. Because what would happen is, is the leather has to stretch a little bit. Has to be brand new. You ever bought a new pair of leather shoes, dress shoes, or heels? And they'll tell you, hey, it should feel really, really tight because through time as you walk, the leather's going to stretch. It's a natural skin. So, so don't buy it too big because you'll actually end up blistering your feet because it needs to be tight and it needs to go through that stretch. So what happens is Jesus starts telling us and he tells them is what happens is I have new wine that I want to give you guys. I, I want to do something new in your life. But the reality is, is the vessel has to be new. I can't use an old vessel because if I use an old wineskin, so if, this, if everyone drunk the wine in this skin and I said, well, let's just reuse it. Let's just put some juice in it. Let's just put some new yeast in it. Let's just put some new sugar in it. It's already reached its stretch capacity. So if I put a new wine into that, it's literally going to explode, combust, because it's got no more stretch in it. So it has to be a new skin, a new wine skin, so that when Jesus can do new wine and give new wine, there is some stretch in you to be able to handle what it is that God wants to do. And a lot of times we want to hold on to the old and say, God, give me the new. As a pastor, I'll talk to people all the time and they'll be like, Pastor Adam, I'm committing to everything you told me to commit to. I'm coming to church every Sunday. I'm praying. I started reading my Bible. I started doing this. I started. So they're saying I'm, I'm doing the new wine stuff. And I'll say, OK, tell me a little bit about your past now. Have you forget? Have you forgave your ex-wife? Oh, gosh, no, not. No, not done that yet. OK, have you found victory over this addiction yet? Oh, gosh, no, I haven't done that. Have you stopped hanging around this group of people? Oh, gosh, no. Have you, have you stopped walking around with all that anger that you have that you've been holding on to? Oh, gosh, no. But, 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 but I'm doing all the things you told me to do. Yeah, but you're doing it as an old vessel. You're doing it as an old wineskin. And so you are going to go through a burst. See, you ever heard people? There's a lot of people that don't like change or new things. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, people don't like change. They don't like new things. I don't think they don't like it because it's, it's new. I think they don't like it because they have to stretch when it's new. They, they're too comfortable. Just to say that someone doesn't like new things, is, honestly, it's a cop-out. They just like old things. No, they just like to be comfortable. They just, they just like to, they, they, it's a Burger King Christian. I got to have it my way at all times. Can't be anyone else's way. It's got to be my way every single time. And so there's no stretch in you. But Jesus shows us and tells the disciples that if you want new wine, you have to get to a place where you can be stretched. Are you stretchable? 
Or is it the moment you're stretched? Like, nope, I walk away. I give up. It's too painful. I'm not a very flexible person. I do not like when I have to stretch. It's very uncomfortable. It's very painful. I can barely touch my toes. It hurts so bad. But every time I go to the chiropractor, they're like, you don't stretch enough. I'm like, yeah, because it hurts. It's uncomfortable. He's like, yeah, but it'll be better for you if you start doing it. I'm like, doc, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it does, actually. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Is in order for us to see God's newness in our life, we have to first see what is it that the old that I'm carrying that I have to get rid of. What is it that I have to, that has reached my capacity for God to do new that is uncomfortable for me that I have to release in this season, that I have to get rid of in this season, or I have to trust over to God so that I can see him do something new in my life. So I can reach the stretch capacity that God has for my life. Uh, When I first met my wife, my wife's here with me, and when I first met my wife over nine years ago, I was actually, uh, before I met her, I was dating somebody. I was dating a girl in Texas that I went to high school with, and then um, we lost kind of contact in our college years, and then we reconnected after college. And so her and I were, um, we started kind of dating over the phone for about six months. So this was pre-FaceTime, pre-Zoom, so we just on the phone all the time, talking, texting, and she had a, she had a, a young three-year-old son by that time, and so we were taking it really slow because she already had a son, and we didn't want to quickly introduce me to him, and, you know, maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't, you know, so we're just using wisdom. So for about six months, everything we're doing over the phone, over the phone. So about six months into it, she tells me, hey, I got to come for a family birthday. I'm coming into town from Texas. Um, Do you want to meet up and see if this really is a spark, see if there's something there? I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's go on a date. We'll do it proper. We'll see if there's something that connects. We've been talking for six months. Let's see if in person there really is this thing that we think it is. So she's like, perfect. I'll see you next Friday. I said, great. That's in eight days from now. It was on a Thursday. And so we committed. Next Friday, I had a date, 7 o'clock. She was coming into town to see her family. We were going to go on a date. The next day is Friday. I'm at church working. I'm a youth pastor at the time. I'm at church working. I go to stop over to see my brother, who's our special needs pastor at the time. And so I'm like, I'm going to go visit my brother. He has a volunteer meeting right now. And I go to his volunteer meeting, his special needs volunteering. And in the room, I see a new volunteer that's in orientation. And she's just this tall, caramel, just, just, just drink of beauty, you know. So I see her across the room. I'm like, man, that girl is gorgeous. And so I'm like, man, she's beautiful. I hope I get to meet that girl. So I'm kind of hanging around. The meeting's not finishing. So I'm like, I'm going to get out of here. Hopefully I see her again. She's volunteering, so I'll look out for her. The next day is a Saturday. It's church. Her parents come out, who happen to be the elders and deacons in our church. So they come out, and they're like, we want to introduce you to our daughter who just moved home from Chicago. She just retired as a professional soccer player. Uh, Meet our daughter, Ashley. And they move out the way. And there's that girl I saw. And so I'm, I'm smitten. I'm sweating too. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to ask this girl out on a date. And then I remembered you said it. And then I remembered I'm dating someone and I have a date next week with them. 
What am I going to do? And so on the way home, I called the girl that I've been seeing from Texas. And I said, hey, I'm going to keep it real with you. I met this girl today. And I saw her yesterday, but I met her today. I just want you to know, I, all we have said is hi so far. But I want to do a lot more than that. I want to ask her out. I don't know what it is, but I, I felt like there was a connection there. And so I don't want to lead you on. I don't think we should go out on the date next week. I, I, don't, I shouldn't go out with you if I'm already having thoughts about this girl. She said, I respect you for saying that. I'm a little disappointed. She said, but I understand if for some reason it doesn't work out or anything, um, call me back. Maybe we'll pick up where we left off. Maybe we won't. And I hung up. And nine years later, never talked to that person ever again. The next week, I asked that girl out that I saw at church. One year later, we got engaged. One year after that, we got married. So we've been married seven years now with two kids. <laughs> Blessed. And I'm thankful. But here's what I felt God say in that moment when I had to make a decision. Because when I would tell this story when I was younger, uh, like just with friends, the guys would be like, dude, what? neither of them would know. Like one lives in Texas, one lives in Neither, what, why would you ruin your chances like that? Like what if, what if it didn't work out with your wife and then you could have still went out with that girl because none of it was serious. You weren't of it. And I was like, man, that's not integrity. That's not me. And I'd been praying for a wife. I've been believing God for a wife. And so if I felt like God was leading me to something, why would I? I'm not a monkey. I don't need two vines in order to live life. I don't need to be on one vine and then have hold of the other before I let go of the other one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God that if he's going to do something new, I first I have to let go of the other vine. I, I got to release it. I got, I got to let go of it to say, God, I really trust you with this thing. I really trust you with my past. I really. So what happens is if, if we want God's new, you got to you got to let go of the old. You got to you got to let go of it. You got to walk away from the old. You got to walk away from your past. You got to forgive some people. You got to step into a place of the new to see God do new. And so even in our marriages, even in our lives, if we want God to do something new, we, we got to let go of the old. It's not a lot of people say, oh, if I got married again, if I could remarry again, if I could do, no, start new right now. It's not, well, if I started over again, if me and my wife could do it right now. If you could start over again, what would you do? I would do X, Y, do it, why aren't you doing it right now? If I could start over again, I'd start praying with my wife. Do it right now. If I could start all over again, I would start doing this with my husband. Do it right now. If I could do, raise my kids again, I would have done that. No, do it right now. Call them. Say, I'm sorry. I repent. Can I start new again? Can we start new again? L leave it to the Lord to move. Leave it to God to work. But you do your part. Say, Jesus, you got new wine? I want new wine. So if you have new wine, I'm going to be a new vessel. I'm going to release the old. So that you could do the new. And Jesus encourages disciples. New wine means new wine skin. We're the skin. He's the wine. We want God to do new. We got to be new wine skins. And so if you're taking notes today, I have two thoughts of just the beauty of what God can do in our life. Should we commit to the new? 
the first thing God does is he makes us a new creation. That's the beauty of meeting Jesus. Is when we encounter Christ, he makes us a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. That's the beauty. If we're in Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. But the important part is being in Christ. That's the beauty of it. You see here, I got this. Man, this is a, this is a fancy podium right here, this acrylic thing. Oh, boy, when he said it, he was even wearing gloves like he was in the Smithsonian and everything like that. Like, that's how I feel wrong touching it, you know. But, you know, see, I, it actually you could actually put someone in there, which I got super curious when I saw it. First service, someone did offer to go in it. We just, I was like, I don't think the insurance covers that. No, I don't think there's airflow. So we passed. But she was like, I'll do it. I'm like, let's not. But if you were to call me, you're like, hey, pastor, where are you at? And, and I said, uh, yeah, come in the sanctuary. I'm in, I'm in the podium. At first, you'd be like, I don't know what that means. But if you really came inside and you saw me in the podium, I definitely can't fit in it, but someone might be able to fit in it. But if I said I'm in the podium, you would walk in and you'd be like, oh, he's really in the podium. But if you called, you're like, hey, where are you at? And I'm like, I'm in the podium. And you came in here and you saw me right here. You'd be like, you're not in the podium. You're near the podium. You're around the podium. There's a difference between near it, around it, and or in it. And so a lot of times we as Christians, we read that verse. Therefore, is there anyone in Christ? And we mess it up because we think just being around Jesus or near Jesus, you reread it and they go, oh, well, we go, oh, well, I go to church. Oh, I, I clap my hands during worship. I own a Bible. I have a Christian playlist on my phone. Yeah, I'm in Jesus. No, you, you, you're around Jesus. You're, you're near Jesus. And sometimes, because God's so good, that rubs off a little bit on you. So you'll get a little drip from being near Jesus. You'll get a little rub from being around Jesus. It's like the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus had hundreds upon hundreds of people around him, but only one person had enough faith to encounter him. Hundreds were near Jesus. Only one was in Christ. Only one had enough faith to believe that Jesus could heal her. She was the only one in that story of hundreds of people that touched him and his disciples told him that, hey, look, Everyone touched you. What do you mean? And he said, no, everyone touched me, but only one person felt my power. So it means that you could be around Jesus. You could be near Jesus, but only one could be in Jesus. That's why you'll meet someone else after church and they'll say, I got nothing from today. But you'll meet another person that will say, my life changed today. How come? We're both in the same room. We listened to the same songs. We heard the same sermon. We prayed the same prayers. Why did one person say they got nothing and another person said their life changed? Because one person came to be in Christ. The other person came to be near Christ. There's a difference. So if you want the new to come, 
The old got to pass away. And you got to get in this thing. You have to be in Christ. There's got to be a mental shift. There's got to be a habit shift to be a new creation. And then, and, then, and, then the, and then the second thing is that Jesus does is that he gives us a new heart. You get a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says this. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll take your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. That's a new wine skin. I'll take your old skin and I'll give you a new skin. I'll take that old heart. I'll give you a new heart. And a lot of us here, sometimes we just need a heart transplant. God, I'm just... I'm just way too stony lately. Just, I'm just, I'm rock hard everywhere we go. I've lost my love. I've lost my grace. I've lost my compassion towards my wife. Lost my love towards my husband. I love my, I lost my joy towards my kids. I've lost my purpose. I'm just stony. I'm just hard. Well, God's got a new heart. God can make you a new creation. God's doing a work in your life. That's the new wine that Jesus has. That relationship with him, to follow him, means a spirit of newness. Not a restart, not a refresh, but a new thing. When I was in college, I had a friend. He came and knocked on my door. We were kind of dorm mates. Um, We lived in kind of the same kind of uh, corner. We had different rooms. He comes knock on my door. He said, hey, Adam, can I get $20? I said, hey, man, I'm broke right now. I ain't got $20. He starts getting mad at me. All it is is $20. That's all I'm asking for. I said, I don't have $20. And so now he's getting mad at me. Just give me $20. I was like, man, I don't have $20. I'm I'm a broke college student. I had $100 in my checking account, but it wasn't on me. And I definitely couldn't afford to give 20 of it to him. So I was like, I don't got it. He's mad, slams my door. It's just $20. I didn't know you were so broke. He walks out, shuts the door. I'm like, man. So later on that night, I'm laying in bed. It's about 11 o'clock at night. I feel like God wakes me up. And he says, go to the bank and give him $60. It was a thought that I just, he didn't, he didn't come audibly in my room. He didn't turn on my phone and start speaking through it. It was just, I don't want anyone to think I'm weird or I'm more special than you are. It was, it was just, he didn't speak to me in that way. When I say he spoke to me, it was a thought, an impression. By it just it wouldn't escape me. Give him sixty dollars. Give him. It's a thought. I'm just man. Why can't I escape this thought? Why can't? That's how God speaks many times. So you couldn't escape it. So give him sixty dollars. Man, all right. So I go to the bank, pull out sixty dollars. Got forty dollars left in my checking account. I'm like, well, God, I trust you with that thing. What are we going to do with that? Please do something. <laughs> so I go to my friend's door. I knock on it. It's like, yeah. I'm like, are you awake? He's like, yeah, I'm awake. He's sitting at his desk. And I come in, I'm like, hey, bro, God told me to give you this, man. Drop $60 on his desk. He grabs it, he starts counting it, and he goes, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, he about to give me a big hug. So he's like, throws $40 on the ground. I only need $20. I don't need $60. I don't want $60. Take your $40. I just need $20. And I'm like, I pick it up, and I'm like, oh, you're going to take this $60. I just throw it back at him. I'm like, you're going to have this $60. He's like, no, I don't need this $60. I'm like, don't rob me of my blessing. I want to bless you. 
I love you. God's telling me to, no, I don't want it. Take your $40. I'm like, God wants you to have this. No. He throws it out. So I walk out the room. He takes the $40. He throws it at my back. Boom. 40 bucks takes my back. Turn around. It's on the ground. So I flatten it out and I slide it under his door. I say, take the money. And I take my jacket off and I put it in the little crack so that he can't, he can't push it back. And boom, I ran, ran to my room. Later on the next day, it's like the after t- afternoon time. Forgot all about it. He come knocks on my door. He's like, hey, Adam, you got a second? I'm like, yeah. He sits down and he begins to just weep and weep and weep. And I'm like, oh, man, what's, what's going on? So I'm just sitting there. I let him cry for a minute. What's going on, man? Goes, listen, bro. It's the first time I've ever said it out loud, but uh, but I but I have a drug addiction, and um, I I had an itch last night, and uh, I I just twenty dollars is all I need to be able to just get my itch, and so all I needed was twenty dollars. So he said, when you first didn't have it, I was mad at you because I was I was itching. I I, I need I, I needed it, and. So I was angry at you. And then he said, and then later on that night, when you gave me $60, I felt disgusting. I just, I felt like, why, why would I be take, because I told him, hey man, it's some of the last money I have. You can have, if it means that much to you, you, you have it. He said, the fact that I would take advantage of someone I care about just to get a high. He goes, I don't want to do it no more, man. I'm just, I'm sick of this. And mind you, I'm in college, but I'm in Bible school. Everyone there is studying to be a worship leader, a pastor or something. So there's a Christian Bible school. So he's, he's around the word. He's near it. He hears it. But at that moment, he ain't in it. And so in that moment, we began to pray together, began to weep together. And we made a commitment together that I'd be his accountability partner. And we got three other friends that every day for that rest of that semester, we wake up at 6 a.m., and we commit prayer together. We'd read God's word together. And then we all started confessing the struggles that we all were having, each individually. And what happened was, is there was a moment where God began to do something new in our lives. Because the call to Jesus isn't a call to be perfect. That's not what this is. Me talking today about being a new creation, getting a new heart. That ain't all of a sudden you're going to wake up tomorrow, have a halo on your head. And when you're ready to die, you're going to float up to heaven. That's not what that is. It's that there is God who's perfect. There is Jesus who is perfect. And he is doing a perfect work in your life. He is doing something new in your life. And so in that moment, over the course of that semester, my friend Kia got victory over his addiction. And he was set free of his addiction. But it's because he allowed other people. Amen. Do this with me. Do this with me. So there may be stuff that you're trying to fight and... The only thing you haven't done is say, well, I'm going to get around someone. I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to get around some other men, get around some other women. I'm going to start confessing what it is that I need victory over. I'm going to start plugging in more so that I can see God continue to do a new work. Whatever it is, God, should we choose to say, I'm, I'm done being around you and I'm done being near you. I want to be in you. I want you to do a work in my life. And I'm going to own up to my old. And I'm going to let that pass away. Me and my family, me and my wife, today's a new day. Today's a fresh start to your life because the goodness and mercies of Jesus are new every day, every day.
So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the beauty of everything truly sits in the balance of the gospel. It's the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He was broken, bloody, and beaten on the cross. He carried our sins. Someone has to pay for our sins. Either we pay for it ourselves or we let someone step in and pay for it. Jesus is the only one, the only one who was pure, perfect, and blameless that could carry our sins on the cross. So he died on the cross. He took the beating for us. But just three days later, he would come out of that tomb and he would resurrect and show us that he defeated death in its place. He defeated sin in its place. And he showed us that the father was pleased with the sacrifice of his son, which gives us hope that we can trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus because today Jesus lives. He's resurrected and he sits at the right hand of the father. And that's enough that we could put our faith in him and trust in him. And Romans chapter nine, verse nine and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died on the cross and rose again, you will be saved. It's a period. It's not a question. Some religions will teach, do as much good as you can. And maybe, maybe if you're lucky, when you stand before God, maybe he will save you. Maybe you'll only find out on that day. Romans chapter 9, verse 9 and 10 tells us completely the opposite. Should you trust your hope in Jesus, allow him to carry your sin and repent and trust in the resurrection and believe in it, you will be saved. There's hope, there's a surety, and there's forgiveness. And so if you're here today right now and you want to give your life to Christ, as we close right now, if you want to say a prayer out loud, we're all going to say it together. Here's the thing. The prayer isn't the thing that saves you by any means. God is already doing a work at your life. All we're doing when we say this prayer is we're just affirming the work that God's already doing in our life right now. And we're doing it together as a congregation. We're saying the goodness and we're saying the gospel of Jesus. So would you join me in this prayer right now? Would you join me in saying this? Dear Lord Jesus, in this moment, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose three days later. In this moment, I call you Lord. And I commit and confess to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a hand clap to those that may have said that prayer for the first time today and rededicated their life? God bless you. You're part of the family of God. You're a brother and sister of ours now, and you're a new creation now, and the journey is beginning now. God bless you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for tuning in to The Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love Him deeply, and follow Him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.